0: In this series that I've called Believe, we've been going through the book of John. The last chapter, chapter 21, is one of my favorites in, the, in, in all the Bible. And so I want to take two weeks to go through chapter 21. And this is the second of those two weeks, so we're wrapping up today. The idea behind this series called Believe is John tells us why he wrote this thing that we call the Gospel of John. He says that these things were written that you might believe. And so in looking at all this, we're considering what John has told us about Jesus and considering if it might prompt us to believe either for the first time or again at a deeper, more profound level. Let me just bring you up to speed with where we are in John chapter 21 in case you weren't here last week or didn't or have forgotten it. Chapter 21, the last chapter of the book of John, is after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, he's appeared to many people, and he has told the disciples ahead of time, when I rise, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. And so chapter 21 is about that event, after his resurrection, as he meets some of his disciples in Galilee and it begins with seven of his disciples on a boat fishing which was most of their vocation and they had, the bible says in those first 14 chapters of john 21 that they had fished all night and were completely unsuccessful it just did nothing was clicking nothing was working and they're coming into shore in the morning and they see someone on the shore on the bank call out to them about their experience fishing. Did you catch any fish? They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus is asking them, how successful have you been doing it on your own? And they respond, hadn't been successful at all. Jesus says, throw your end out on the other side of the boat, which they do, and they catch a huge, huge amount of fish. And in that moment, Hearing Jesus' words, hearing his voice, and experiencing this incredible event reminded them of one other time when this exact same thing happened. Uh, And they immediately recognized that as Jesus. And the apostle Peter gets so excited about being with Jesus that he jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. He just can't get there fast enough. The other six fellows in a boat row to the shore, dragging this huge net of fish behind them. And when they're on shore, they find that Jesus is there waiting for them, already got the fire, always got fish prepared and bread, and he says, Hey, come on and eat. And Jesus invites them to share what they have with him in this meal. The neat thing for me in reading that is I realize that Jesus already has all he needs. He doesn't need anything from us, but he loves us so much, he loves to invite us to be involved with him. And so he invites them to be involved with him. Give me some of what you have that I gave you anyway because I want you to participate in this with me. And so they're having the, they are having—they just had this breakfast, uh, eating together with Jesus there. And this is where we pick up uh, John 21, verse 15. So John 21, verse 15, the Bible says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord," he said. "You know that I love you." Jesus said, "Feed my lambs." There's a lot going on here in this interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus, and this is what the most of the, uh, the second half of the chapter is all about. Jesus is the one, when, Pe- when, when, when Simon first started following him, that Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. He said, you used to be a guy named Simon, and you lived a certain way and had a certain identity. I'm going to change your name to Peter, because that means rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus is the one, years prior, changed Simon's name to Peter. But in this interaction, how does Jesus refer to him? Simon Peter. Why? Let me suggest something. One of the realities of discipleship is that we must first acknowledge who we are and who we've been. And Jesus is reminding Peter who he was. Now, this is after the crucifixion. And it was just prior to the crucifixion where Peter had the chance to be who God called him to be. And he walked away from that chance, denied Jesus, and returned to his old self, Simon. And so Jesus, one of the things Jesus is doing here is saying, I'm going to remind you who you were. And I'm going to call you by your old name, your old identity, to remind you who you were. Here's why. Because we got to realize who we were and who we were is the reason for the cross. We, we need to realize that it was, due to, it was due to my sin that Jesus had to go to the cross. It was due to your sin that Jesus had to go to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great theologian in the, in, in the 40s under Nazi, in Germany, under Nazi Germany. Uh, and he was actually arrested for his faith, thrown into concentration camp and killed in a concentration camp just days before it was liberated. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is one of my heroes, and he says this, the cross is God's truth about us. The cross is God's truth about us, that there was something about us that needed to be healed and saved. The only way that would happen was through the cross. And I was either going to suffer for my own sin, or someone was going to suffer on my behalf. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, as as a reminder, the cruise is God's truth about us. And honestly, let me just suggest this, that sometimes it's really good to remember who we've been as long as it drives us to the appreciation of God's grace. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, It keeps us humble to remember who we've been as long as it leads us to God's grace. The Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Sometimes it's good for us to remember who we've been. And Jesus has reminded Peter who he was before. That's why he calls him Simon. See, it's good to remember our Simon days and our Simon ways and realize that God loves us anyway. Do you understand that? And Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me? There are three words in the Greek New Testament that it uses for love. Two of the most common are agape and phileo. Agape love is the unconditional, perfect love that knows no bounds. It exists not in relation to what you do for me or what you do or what I do. It just just is. It's stable. It's profound. It's secure. It's unchanging. It's unconditional. And when Jesus asked Simon, do you love me? He uses this word agape. He says, Simon, do you agape love me? Do you love me in that perfect, unchanging, stable way? Regardless of what happens, regardless of what I do, regardless of what I don't do, do you love me unconditionally? And he says, do you love me more than these? More than what? Well, we don't know. The Bible didn't tell us. But let me give you three possibilities. Jesus could be saying, do you love me perfectly More than all of these. There were six other disciples there. Jesus could have been saying, do you love me more than all these other six guys love me? Because at one point, Peter, Simon, you said you did. At one point, you said you agape love me more than anybody else. Matter of fact, you said you love me so much that you would die for me. So do you really agape love me more than all these others? He could be saying this. Do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than your relationships with anybody else in this world? He said, I see you've got a great friendship with these guys. That's fantastic. Have it. But you better, my relationship with you better be more important than your relationship with them. So when I ask something of you, you respond to your relationship with me regardless of how it might affect your relationship with them. Do you love me more than you love these other people? Or... The third possibility is, he could have been saying, do you love me more than these tools of your trade? You've always identified your identity by the tools of your trade, the net and the boats. Do you love me more than the things that you derive your identity from? Do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than your title? Do you love me more than those things that you've derived your identity? Do you agape me? Simon says, you know I love you. There are two words for love, agape and phileo. To the question, do you agape love me? Simon responds, you know I phileo love you. And phileo love was still a pretty strong love. But it was temporal. It's a brotherly love. And you know how this goes with people. That when we perceive someone being a benefit to us, we love them and when they cease to be a benefit to us maybe not so much it's fickle it's changing we fall in and out of it it's human brotherly love and jesus asked peter do you per-, asked simon do you perfectly love me and simon says you know that i phileo love you at best i love you when i perceive you being good to me but when it gets too costly you know that my love isn't strong enough to last. That's a brutal conversation to have with Jesus, isn't it? How would you like to have that conversation with him right now? Let me suggest something. Unknowingly, you do. I do. Multiple times every day, this is the conversation that he has with us and that we respond to him. Every time a follower of Jesus has the option to choose between his way and our way, he's asking us, do you perfectly love me more than your way? And whenever we choose our way above his way, we're telling him, no, I do not love you that much. Do you understand? Why don't I get any amens after something like that? (laughs) It's a brutal conversation. And every time, We realize what God is asking, and we choose something else. He's asking us, do you agape love me more than you love your own way? And every time we love our own way more, we're telling him, no, I don't love you that much. It's a conversation that happens for the disciple to Jesus multiple times every day. You know what amazes me? is Jesus' next words to Simon. He says, feed my lambs. See, here's what I know. Even though Simon acts like his old Simon self and admits that his love is failing at best, Jesus still chooses him, Jesus still loves him, Jesus still accepts him, and Jesus says, I still got a plan for you even though you're not all that you want to be, even though you're probably not all that you should be, I still love you, I still choose you, I still accept you, and I still got a plan for you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all. all your, I, My choosing of you is greater than your choosing of me, is what Jesus is saying. I am convinced that had Simon flexed up on Jesus and tried to prove who he was, Jesus would not have chosen him. Now, eventually, Peter would have agape love for Jesus and the kingdom, but it wasn't right now. Jesus knew that Simon was was insufficient for the task at hand, but Jesus also knew that he wasn't going to stay where he was. See, here's how this looks. Peter understood that half-hearted devotion is not the way of the disciple. He understood that. Peter understood discipleship means full-hearted devotion, not half-hearted devotion. But Jesus understood something more profound than that. And Jesus understood that Peter would become something by God's grace that he wasn't at the moment. And this is what I love about my God. He knows who I am. He knows how failing I am. He knows how fickle I can be. But he also knows that by God's grace, I am becoming something I'm not now. And he doesn't need someone who's got it all together. He says, I know who I got. I know who you are. And I can work with the worst of you, Carl. And invites me. And this is what he's doing to Simon. But see, here's the crux. It's in admittance and repentance that we hear God's call. And if we were to stand without admittance of who we are and repentance of who we've been, we'll never hear his call. But Jesus isn't done with Simon. That's just one verse. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. This is the second time Jesus asked him the exact same question. He says, Simon, do you agape love me? Now, Simon had just said he didn't, but Jesus asked him again, and he presses further And Peter's response, Simon's response, you know that I phileo love you. See, Peter needs to get the place. Peter needs to dig down deep and get to the place of complete surrender and brokenness and emptiness where there's no pride and there's no arrogance and there's no religious posing and there's no hubris. And so Jesus presses. I want to drive this point home, who you are. And again, what I love about this is Jesus reassures Simon that in spite of who he currently is, he has a role for Simon to play in God's economy. He's calling him out of who he was into something greater. I know who you are, but I still have a task for you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be who you should be. I still have a role for you in my kingdom. See, Jesus has given Simon a vision of who he will become. I know you're insufficient now, but I have a call on you, and it will be to take care of my sheep as a leader. I will still build my church on you is what he's telling Peter. I still have a call and a destiny for you. See, that, that's what Jesus is really saying to him. He's saying your destiny is so much greater than your history. Your history may be one of failure and one of pain, and, and it, it may be that which you, you, you want to, and I have a destiny that's so much greater than your history, and I'm calling you into that. See, if this conversation hadn't happened, Peter would forever be stuck probably in the history of his past. And Jesus is calling them out of his history and into his destiny. It ain't easy and it ain't fun. But it's so significant and eternal. And I would say the same to you today. That when you get to the place of emptiness, when you get to the place of brokenness, and when you get to the place of abandoning your old self and your old identity and you become real and authentic before God, then he says, now let me call you out of your history and into your destiny. It's what he's doing with Simon. It's what he wants to do with every one of us. Imagine the recreation of a life that's happening here. From failure and disgrace to shepherd and leader. Jesus isn't done with Simon yet. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. The third time, Jesus says, Do you love me? Let me give you one guess what type of love Jesus asked him about. Do you? He said, Phileo. Jesus said, Peter, Simon, do you really only Phileo me? See, before Jesus was saying, I'm going to call it the best of you and make you realize you're not there. But this third time he said, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you with who you are. Do you just phileo me? Do you notice that the Bible says that he was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? I, I, don't, I don't think that Simon was hurt because Jesus asked him three times. I, I, think, I think he kind of saw that coming. I think he was hurt this third time because Jesus changed his language. No longer do you agape me, which is what I hope for you. Now do you just phileo me? See, here, here's how this works. I, I know what it's like for a father. I know what it's like to know in myself my failings, my shortcomings, and my failures. I know those. And it is so wonderful to have sons who believe the best of me. And it's painful when you realize your sons know the worst of you you understand that? And that's what's going on here with Jesus and Simon. The first two times Jesus is saying, I believe in you. This is the best of you. And this third time Jesus changes. And all of a sudden Peter's hurt because Peter realizes that Jesus really does know the worst of him. Simon, do you just phileo me? Jesus says, I know how weak your love is. I know how passing it is. I know how fleeting it is. I know how conditional it is. I know that when you perceive me as being a value to you, you love me. And when you perceive following me is too costly for you, you reject me. I know, I understand that about you, Simon. But again, the thing I love about my Jesus is that when he knows the worst of me, he still chooses me and loves me and calls me and has a destiny for me. And that's what he says. I'm going to call you to something greater than who you currently are. And I'm going to call you to a destiny that is so far greater than your history. We got to acknowledge your history. You need to acknowledge your history so you can sacrifice it to me. Let me recreate you and call you to a destiny that's bigger than you. And you know why Jesus asked him three times, right? Why? Because he denied him three times. Three times by the fire, Peter denied being a follower of Jesus. And so three times, Jesus gives him the opportunity to confess him. See, one of the principles of grace is that repentance must run as deep as the offense See, grace is freely given, but it must never be cheap. And so the repentance has to run as deep as the offense. And so Jesus has run in his repentance as deep as the offense had been. Three times. Now you realize this is going on in front of six other disciples. Like there's six other guys sitting around while Jesus and Simon are having this conversation. How uncomfortable would that have been? Have you ever been in those situations where you're a part of a conversation you know you probably shouldn't be hearing and you know you're not a part of and you're sitting there like, <whistles> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're thinking in the back of your head, do they know we're here? You know <laughs> You know what that's like, and you know what it's like to have people who are listening into a conversation you're having that you hope would be a private conversation again, but they're listening and probably are a little too interested in the conversation. It's just awkward. You know why Jesus is doing it publicly? Because Peter denied him publicly. See, one of those principles of restoration is that it must run as deep as that denial. Denial. The denial was public. The restoration has to be public. Another reason why why Jesus was doing this in public was so that the others would know that he had been restored and redeemed. So that they would know too. See, the fact is that this was not the first time Jesus and Peter had a conversation. If you read the Bible back in Luke chapter 24, verse 34, it'll tell you that Jesus had already met with Peter one-on-one. So they already had their conversation. Jesus needed to do this in public before the others. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, a man's repentance ought to be as notorious as his sin. Peter's sin was notorious. Everybody knew how he dropped the ball. So his repentance had to be as notorious. So everybody needs to know that he's been repentant and restored. See, Jesus is doing this three times publicly because the denial had been three times publicly. And I think another reason why Jesus is doing this publicly three times is so the others would know that Peter has been reinstated by God. Because otherwise it would be one of those things. Like we know his past. Is Is he good? And Jesus is doing this publicly so that the others would know that he's qualified to lead again and probably more so now because now he's been down to the depths and he's felt the restoration and recreation of God and now he's very much ready to lead. Do you understand what I'm saying? Bono has one of his songs, you two scenes, it's like, like a needle needs a vein, a preacher needs a pain. Peter had felt the pain. And now he's been restored publicly and so that he was ready to lead publicly. But the other reason I think Jesus is doing this publicly is because he's pulling Peter out of the failure of his past and into the destiny of his call. He said, I want everybody to know that you're not stuck where you were. That your identity is not your failure anymore. I want everybody to know I want everybody to know that I have redeemed you and reinstated you and qualified you because I've called you. And he's drawing him out of the failure of his past into the destiny of his future. The Bible says that God's calling and his gifting are irrevocable. And I think Jesus, by doing this publicly, is telling everybody else, you no longer have the right to hold his failure over his head. I think that's part of what Jesus is doing. I have approved him. I have reinstated him. So you no longer have the right to hold his failure over his head. This is what I love about Jesus. And this is what I love about his church when it gets it right. When God forgives and restores that inward work of the heart and the spirit, the role of the church is to renew outwardly what God has restored inwardly. And the church has no right once God has forgiven and restored and renewed to hold over anybody's head the failure of their past because they've been accepted and restored by God. The past no longer exists. Do you understand? And it's beautiful when the church gets it right. And that's why I think Jesus is doing this publicly. That when one comes to faith, in confession of sin, and repentance, and God forgives. We have no authority to hold the failure of their history over their head any longer. Now all we do is celebrate the destiny of their call and what God's doing. Let me just point this out. Verses 18 and 19. There's a lot going on here. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's a lot going on here. See, previously, Peter had said he would die for Jesus. Uh, And then when he had the opportunity to suffer, he denied him and ran away. Now that Peter's reinstated, Jesus says, hey, guess what, Pete? I'm going to give you another chance. You said you'd die for me. Guess what? You missed it the first time. I'm going to give you another chance to get it right. And history tells us that Peter eventually was crucified upside down. That he considered himself unworthy to be crucified like Christ was. So he said, if you're going to crucify me for me, do it upside down. What? Where does that difference come from? From coward to martyr. Let me suggest to you that that difference is what's available to every disciple of Christ now. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the book of Acts. Because after the Holy Spirit was given to the church, immediately, they move from fearful to fearless, from locked in an upper room to unstoppable, and a boldness comes over them, and a a, a power and a strength comes over them, that they become witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, willing to give up their better lives for a better kingdom. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is available to every one of God's followers today. And it's what the book is. If this is the book of Acts, I just start reading the book of Acts and read the change that happens. Now, next Sunday, we're going to start a series going through the book of Acts. And it's going to be a long. It's going to take us through February. Uh, it is an amazing account of the Holy Spirit's indwelling the church and the church's work, kingdom work in the world. It's amazing. And that's what happened. But did you notice as I was reading that? Listen, listen to the words. Jesus said to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, and follow me. Did you notice the change? How is he referred to now? He used to be referred to as Simon. What has happened? Repentance, restoration, his identity's changed. No longer is he Simon the failure. Now he's Peter the rock. And from here on out, he will be referred to as Peter. Peter. This is amazing to me. Confession, repentance, restoration. Peter doubted he could live for Jesus. And now he knows he will not only live for Jesus, he will die for Jesus. And he's no longer called by his old name. Let me ask you this question. What's your old name? Some of you are living under the identity of your old name your old self some of you are living with your old name and it is your identity it's the name divorce it's the name abuse it's the name failure it's the name doubter it's the name insufficient it's the name not good enough It's the name grief, it's the name grudge, it's the name anger, it's the name sadness, it's the name depression. What's your old name? Jesus wants to get you to a moment of emptiness and brokenness and authenticity so he can say, I'm done with your old name, I want to give you a new call. Listen, stop living according to the identity of your old name. Let that go. Old things are gone. Behold, all things have become new. Stop living under the identity of your old name and grab on to the identity of your new destiny. I love the fact that Jesus says, when you're old, They'll stretch out your hands to indicate the type of death. It means he's, he's saying, when you're old, you're going to be crucified. That's what he's saying. And I love the fact that Jesus tells them, when you're old, you're going to be crucified. Isn't that encouraging? Well, it, it, here's you know, If it's not encouraging, it's because you're missing the point. You're looking at the crucifixion part. But what's the guarantee when you are Oh, it means you're going to live a long time. You got a lot of years ahead of you. This is incredibly encouraging because I know no matter what happens right now, no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens next year, I got a lot of years coming. And that's why, friends, don't miss this when we get into Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Peter is in jail awaiting his execution. King Herod has just killed. James, the brother of John, the writer of this gospel, had just killed him for his faith. And the Bible says that Herod saw how it pleased the Jews. And because it made the Jews so happy, he arrested Peter, put him in jail, and said, Tomorrow I'm going to kill you too. And in that environment, here sits Peter, guarded by 16 Roman guards. And in that very jail so two guards on this side, two guards on that side. And at midnight, the night before, he's to be executed. He is sound asleep In peace. How? Because he knows he ain't old yet. He knows. Jesus promised me I would be old before I'm crucified. And I'm not old yet. So it don't matter what you say. It don't matter what you do. It don't matter what you pronounce against me. I'm trusting the word of God and the promises of God. And hear me on this, my friends. Any disciple that trusts the promises of God and the words of God sleeps very well at night. Do you understand? He knows that his day of liberation is coming in the morning. I know what time it is. Let me just wrap this up, huh? Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Peter just had this incredible moment with Jesus. I mean, this is is like beautiful and loving and restoring and prophetic and all those churchy words you want to use. I mean, and then all of a sudden, what about him? How quickly do we get sidetracked? Huh? I mean, how quickly does it turn from me and my relationship with God to, well, what about you? Silly Peter. And, and I, I love Jesus' response. Jesus answered, What do you care? I mean, he says it in a very Jesus way. I mean, if I want him to live until I return, what's that to you? He's like, get your eyes off everybody else. Quit paying attention to their thread." Quit looking at what I'm doing with them, or not doing with them, what they're doing with me, and not doing. Just get there. If you follow me, your eyes are focused on me. You don't have time to get your eyes on anybody else. Here's the conversion: If your eyes are on somebody else, your eyes aren't on me. You follow me, right? And when Jesus says you must follow me, this he uses the perfect imperative of that verb, which means you continue following me no more turning back, no more denial, no more dropping the ball. You continue day after day, decision after decision to follow me because I'm going to keep asking you, do you agape me? And every time you say you follow me, you're telling me yes. So you follow me. Here's the deal, friends. What cost God so greatly cannot cost us so little. You follow me. And then the very last, verse 25. Jesus, this is John's commentary. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have enough room for the books that would be written. Well, Jesus' public ministry is only three years. Now, n- no doubt he did a lot more than what we have recorded. With no doubt. But one of the things that John is saying is that Jesus' work will continue as if it's from his hands throughout the history of the church in the world throughout all eons. His work continues. This should not be a surprise for us, that his work continues. And if everything that the church did in the name of Jesus were written down, certainly the world would not have room for the books. And this ought not surprise us because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen way back in John in John chapter. Uh, Chapter 12, chapter 14, he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then verse 16 and I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Here's what He's saying. He's saying, look, I'm going, my death, my resurrection, my ascension. Once I ascend, I'm going to send you another advocate. It means another of the exact same kind. I'm going to give you my exact representation. Who is the Holy Spirit that isn't just one place at one time who is with all of you always forever. And because he is always with you, always, forever, you will do even greater things than what you've seen me do. He doesn't mean greater in quality, he means greater in quantity. And so now his church moves as an unstoppable force filled with the Holy Spirit going into the world to continue to do what Jesus has started. It's the book of Acts. It's what you and I live in right now. The same Jesus, the same spirit that filled the first church in the book of Acts in the first century is the same one that he's given to infuse and indwell every Christ follower today. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to this destiny. I've got something so much greater. Everything that the first church did because it was done in the spirit of God, the church is still able to do another of the exact same kind to be with you. And we're going to start next week seeing how all this thing started with the church. It is the story of the church and it is our story. Exact same God, exact same Christ, exact same Spirit. Using infallible, broken, Messed up people. To show the glory of a God and his grace. That's the destiny he's inviting you into. So for today, if you've ever felt like you've just blown it with God, if you've ever felt like you've just dropped the ball, that that you may never be whole again, that there's something more you're just not sure what it is, I've got great news for you. Jesus is the repairer and the restorer of broken, messed up people. The history that's behind you is not greater than the destiny that's before you in Christ. And all you need to do is be transparent and authentic before God. What that looks like is this. Admit your failure. The Bible calls it sin. Admit that you've done life or doing life contrary to God's standard. That he has his way, you have your way, and you've chosen your way. Admit that sin and confess it. To confess means to agree with God. I agree with you, God, that I've lived mine own way. And be honest about who you are. I've dropped the ball. And there's a lot about you, God, I don't understand. But I'm asking you to forgive me. And I receive your forgiveness. Restore me and make me new. And in that moment... God calls you out of your history and into his destiny and opens up the world for which he intended you to live. All these were written that you might believe. Will you? I want you to pray with me. Just in this moment of quietness, in that space that is your own heart and soul, I want to invite you into God's destiny for you. And I want to invite you in this moment to admit who you are and confess Your sin. It's something like, God, I know between your way and my way, I've chosen my way. I've never really chosen to believe in you by faith. And when I've chosen my way, that's sin. I agree with you that that's who I've been. Please forgive me of my sin. I invite you into my life. I want to join my life to yours. Make me the person you've designed me to be. Today I choose to follow you and accept your forgiveness. If you've never done that, why put it off any longer? Don't wait till you think you got all your answers, all your questions answered, because you never will. Don't wait till you think you're good enough, because you never will be. And the brokenness of who you are, with all the history you bring to the table, would you just come to Him? If you've never considered the reality of your own eternity, today's the day to consider that. Let him walk you into his destiny for your life before you've got to face eternity without him. In the simplicity of this moment, Jesus, I accept you as the leader of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Do that work of renewal and restoration in me that only you can do. I want to be a new person. Father, I thank you that you've heard the prayers of those who have, whose hearts are yearning for this. I thank you that you know. I thank you for the hearts that are turning to you. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given them to know you in a personal way. Oh God, it's my prayer that none will walk out of here today without doing that. That you would call your people to a wholehearted devotion to you and your kingdom that we'd not turn back anymore, that would not deny anymore, that every time we get a chance to affirm your way over our way, we'd choose your way. That we would grow in agape love towards you because that's how you've loved us first. Thank you, Jesus. I pray these things in your name, amen. A couple of things. One, I love you and thank you for being here. I know we all went a little bit long, but I thought it was good wrapping up the book of John. If you made some decision to follow Jesus, I'd invite you to mark that on the card, take it outside to our Start Here booth. We want to connect with you. We want to help you take some next steps. I've written a little book called Foundation. It's got a lot of typos in it because I haven't corrected it yet. But there's some left at that. Start Here booth. I'd love for you to pick those up. Mother your way through the typos that's being corrected this week. Uh, but it'll give you a foundation from which to start. And one more thing. Some of you I know are dealing with the identity of your past. You're still living under the identity of your history. One of the ways you get out from under that is to say, Father, I accept the des- my destiny, and I reject the identity of my history. And sometimes it's good to pray that with someone else. And so if any of you have lived under the pain and failure of your history and want to get out from under that, I would love for you to spend some time in this place just praying over that, confessing that with someone else. I'm going to put them on the spot, but I know I got my man Sean right here. I know I got the Addingtons right here. got the Masmanians. I mean, there's others that if you guys would just stay put, and if someone wants to pray, I'd love for them to pray with you and help you lead them through out of the failure of the, their history into the call of their destiny. Hey, listen, read the book of Acts. Start that this week. Come watch that show on Saturday, and let's get after the book of Acts on Sunday. It's going to be a fun, wild ride. Believe me, it's going to be a lot of fun. You good? Let's sing.